hadn't had a chance to do, and I had my sermon pretty well prepared and knew what I wanted to say, and then we got into different conversations, and you started asking me questions, and uh, this morning I changed the topic entirely, so uh, if this isn't, it's a little disjointed, blame it on the people here. I won't take responsibility for any of my actions like the rest of the world. But I have been asked questions, and others have come up, not necessarily here. Should we save gold? Are we in the end time? Should we save food? Should I plan to go to college? Uh, should we go to a cave and live on the side of a hill? What should we do? How do you deal with the end time? And maybe that could be the title for this, for those of you who like titles, Life in the End Time, or Dealing with Life in the End Time. And by the time we get done, maybe we should shorten that even to dealing with life. Because is this really the end time? It certainly is a time of confusion of doctrine, confusion of physical preparedness, confusing signals from our leaders, our politicians, our teachers, everyone else, confusion in technology, uh, confusion in direction, what way should we go physically, mentally, spiritually, etc. So most any issue that comes up, there is a certain amount of confusion on in today's world. You might be reminded of the scripture that God is not the author of confusion, so then who is? And of course, we know Satan is the author of confusion. Is this really the end time? And what about you if you were a child, or if you were a teenager, or maybe if you're middle-aged or old? Where do you fit in? What do you do? Do you hide? Do you take it head-on? How do you handle the situation we're facing today? I want to go back in history to start answering this to the end time for some other people. Let's talk about, first of all, about Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel. They were the first church brats. Uh, their father and mother had been given every good blessing that could be bestowed upon a human being physically. And then they had fouled up, and they had to give a family history to Cain and Abel as they grew up, because still and yet, at that time of, in history, there was an angel guarding a beautiful garden. And perhaps they could get up on a hill if there was one around, and they could look into that garden. And it was a gorgeous place. And here they were living out in the cactus and the tumbleweeds. Why can't we go in there? Well, because that angel standing there with a two-edged sword, you can't go in there. Well, why is he standing in there, and why doesn't he get out of the way so we can get in there where there's some nice fresh fruit on the tree? So the parents had to explain to their children that they had goofed up. And like all parents, I'm sure they kind of hedged their bets and didn't want to tell all the details, perhaps, of their sins and their life. But nevertheless, they had been human and had some problems. So what did Cain and Abel have to look forward to? Their parents had to explain to them that, well, we had an opportunity to live forever in that garden right there in beauty and splendor and no mosquitoes or anything else to bother us. And after we sinned, God told us, you shall die dead as dirt. And you boys are going to die. And then they had more sons and daughters, and they had to explain the same thing to them. Uh, this is the end time for you. You are going to die. 
and you are going to live in a time of trial and trouble and scratch out your life from the earth that does not want to grow things, increasing desert conditions and hard to raise crops, hard to raise animals, you have a tough life ahead of you, in other words. Does that sound a little bit familiar with what we might tell our kids today? We're in the end time, boys and girls. There's tough times ahead. <laughs> you know, it, it, it puts our kids, I think, doubly in a, in a bad situation. We try to talk about the good old days, which were really pretty bad. We tell them things were bad. and what, what, What's one of the things on the list that a kid most likes to hear from the parent? I'm not talking about the top ten. I'm talking about the bottom ten. Now, back when I was a kid, they've all heard it. So have mine. But, you know, you look back and tell them things were bad. And then you look forward and tell them things are bad. What's a kid going to do? What are we as adults going to do? What about Noah's day? That was the end time, wasn't it? it certainly was for those people who watched that fellow building that boat down there. They heard rumors that the world was going to end. Noah preached it and word vibrated out across the countryside, perhaps the far countries, but there's this cook down there building an ark, and he says that God is going to flood the earth. People didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. In fact, they kind of hid from the idea, because Matthew 25 says they were giving, marrying and giving in marriage, and life went on. They didn't pay much attention to what was happening down there in Noah's backyard. But on it went. And the day got closer and closer, and one day it started raining. And you've heard Bill Cosby's routine on it, so I won't go into that. But he depicted it pretty well, I think, about human nature and ignoring it, and then all of a sudden begin to get a little frightened as it gets to your ankles and your knees. So that was sort of the end time. How did they deal with it? Well, they just went on about life and tried to ignore it, a lot of them. A lot of them stuck their head in the sand and tried to ignore it that way. Uh, nobody much seems like repented or changed their way of life. They just sort of went on. All right, how about Moses' day? Here was another end time, I suppose you could say. It was supposed to be a beginning, really, or the beginning of a new day, but it was sort of in between. We have a promised land ahead of us, which is what we tell our kids today. But we have some uh, rules here that Moses just laid down. Uh, if you fornicate, we throw rocks at your head until you're dead. That wasn't good news to some of the young people in that day. But that's the way that it was to be dealt with. And you didn't have any repeat offenders, and it kind of kept venereal disease down, and AIDS didn't get started uh, if they followed through with it. As you look at the history of Israel, however, they didn't follow through with what God had told Moses and pretty soon sinned abounded, as soon as he came down off the mountain with the rules. In fact, well, these were the judgments that came a little later, so maybe I got that out of order. But nevertheless, I don't think Israel followed those rules very much throughout their history, and they had all kinds of problems. Let's go on to Alexander the Great's day. What if you were a kid living in Alexander's path? His armies were coming through the land, and your parents said, man, we're going to die. What do we do? Do we gather up some food? Do we go to a cave? Do we save our jewelry? Buy gold? What do we do? Alexander did roll through, and a lot of people were killed 
by various methods. And Alexander, who wanted to conquer the world, finally sat down, they say, as a young man and cried because there were no more worlds to conquer. There's no more goal in life, no more purpose. What do I do? Take drugs? What do I do? Uh, live hedonistically? Do I stick up some spear through my insides because there's no reason to get up in the morning? I've conquered the whole world. People have had the same frustrations throughout history that you and I do. What about Hitler's day? And you were a little Jew, living in the streets of Frankfurt, perhaps, and you heard about Hitler, and then you heard about uh, people beginning to disappear, like ducks being jerked up in the pond at night. And you began to wonder about your future. What should you do? Should you try to plan on going to college, or should you plan on going to a concentration camp tonight? It was a very confusing and frustrating and difficult time. Could you ignore it? Not once your friend next door disappeared in the night, you couldn't ignore it anymore. It was happening. There was a point at which you could ignore Hitler's Colossus, and there was a point in time in which you could not ignore it any longer. It was happening all around you. began to sound a little like today. Now, in my dad's day, I guess, what I was told, if you fornicate, we'll disown you from the family. Might even kill you. <laughs> or beat you half to death, at least. That was the way you approached sins in those days. Uh, probably just coming out of Victorian era, you didn't even really talk about it too much. But uh, I think the kids got the message. In some cases, uh, they quietly and surreptitiously ignored the message and got in trouble with their parents and so on. Uh, so that was the way that particular issue was faced in those days. In my day, uh, it came a little gentler, as they were teaching me. Uh, if you do things you shouldn't do, you're going to foul your life up. You're going to ruin your emotions. You're going to mess up the possibilities of having a fine marriage and all the things that could happen. They talked about gonorrhea and syphilis and various things uh, that could happen. Those were the issues of that day on that particular subject. So it was, don't foul your life up. And that particular area we're talking about is probably that which can mess the emotions of a human being up more than any other. When you start talking about family and sex and, and the things that God created to be good, if you louse them up, you mess your whole life up. And in years and years of counseling with different people, those are the issues that's come up which have made people's lives miserable more than probably anything else that I can think of. Now let's look at America today. The days of Snoopy Dog Dog Do, or whatever his name is. Allegedly a murderer, certainly a crack and drug user, sells millions of records with his rap, shall we call it music. That's one of the modern heroes of today, I guess. Uh, what about uh, Roseanne and a 300 Club? We had Jim Baker and his PTL club, which showed the, or 500 club, which showed the futility. And now we've got Roseanne times 300. She admitted recently that she, was it two or 300? I forget for sure. Different personalities. 
And you and I understand that she has that many demons coursing through and in and out of her mind. They've diagnosed her as having that many personalities, apparently. She is the one who stands and grabs her crotch while singing our national anthem in public in front of 75,000 people in a football stadium. These are the burning issues of today. She said recently in a talk show that uh, she thought she should be able to sleep with anyone, male or female, and it didn't matter. That's what she's teaching, and yet she's on one of our most popular sitcoms, one of our most popular uh, entertainers of today. She's a little bit weird, a little bit strange, maybe a lot bit with that many personalities. And who would watch her? Maybe they, too, could be a little bit weird or strange to watch that kind of entertainment. How many sitcoms can you sit through and not have someone make allusion to fornication or adultery? Probably not one anymore. Maybe there's one out there. What about another burning issue of the day? We've got an O.J. trial. Somebody says, have you heard of O.J.? said, who's O.J.? You're on the jury. not quite like that. They're loading it up with those of the same race and various other things and, and other races, uh, very few uh, so-called white Americans on the jury. But my wife brought up an interesting point in relation to him. If he is not guilty, why wasn't he immediately grabbing a microphone or standing up somewhere and saying, find the murderer of the woman that I still loved? No, he's not. He's acting guilty, isn't he? I know in America I can't judge him guilty, and I don't. I didn't see it. I don't know. I'm not an eyewitness, but he sure does act guilty, and he doesn't act like someone who is outraged. And they haven't come up with any others. But it's not a matter of whether he's guilty or not in our society today. It's a matter of what can you get thrown out of court. We all know this. We see it every day. How deplorable our society is getting. You can pour a cup of coffee in your lap and get a million dollars if it's hot enough. Is there a future for this country? I mean, these are the issues, brethren. This is what's going on. There's no moral issue left to discuss. They already have in some classrooms 201 how to install a condom. It's already being taught in the schools. And our Surgeon General is being called the condom queen because everybody should have a condom in every person pocket. It's part of your, it's kind of like your school lunch bucket. I don't think I'm over-dramatizing this. This is just what's going on out there. What about what they want in class next? I'm not talking about some right-wing idiot out here, or left-wing or some wing. The Surgeon General just got fired because she said the next year we're going to have the issue of the school year is going to be whether you're boy or girl pulls an A or a D in masturbation class. This is what is being discussed among our leaders. Our president had to fire the lady. I'm not too sure he doesn't agree with her, but the public wouldn't like that, and therefore he had to fire the woman for saying it in public. But this is allegedly one of the top doctors, Surgeon General of the United States, appointed to be our leader, teaching that kind of thing. 
Where has our society come to? You get pregnant? You don't want to be pregnant? The prevailing attitude, it seems now, is kill the little bastard. That doesn't sound too theological, I understand that. But it's language used in the Bible. God said, if you don't obey me, then you're bastards and not sons. So let's call a spade a spade. Oh, it used to be that it's just a few years ago, it was a coat hanger in a dark room somewhere. Now you can have all kinds of initials after your name and have a white coat on, and you can use a needle and a scalpel instead of a coat hanger. But it's murder. Either way. But those are the issues of the day that we're dealing with, that our young people have to deal with. So, what do we have as something in the future to solve these problems? Well, they've come up with something, brethren. It's called the New World Order. Uh, order. I left, a, I left an R out there. President Bush started talking about a thousand points of light and a new world order coming. We're going to straighten everything out. And have the presidents ever since then have been following up on this. And now it's becoming more and more obvious that there's a new world order coming. Reports coming in from everywhere about land being confiscated, They're trying to take all our guns away from us. Uh, I know people myself. These aren't just uh, remote reports. I have a friend who had a very expensive piece of land in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. One year he decided that he was going to uh, put a resort in there, possibly, so he wanted to improve the land. And he dug some nice ponds. Did I talk about this in the piece? I may have. Uh, and he, he left some islands out in the middle so the geese and the ducks could go out there and nest and the foxes couldn't get to them. And the Chamber of Commerce or the county, whoever it was, gave him an award for improving the wetlands and making the nesting areas better. The next year, the beds came in and fined him and shut his whole project down for defiling the wetlands and told him he can't develop anything on that property now. Millions of dollars worth of property sitting there useless because the feds say the ducks can't swim right. You messed it up. I know another lady who had a ranch in her family since 1910. They lived up there, loved it, and the feds came in and said, we want to make a state park here. This is too pretty a place for you to have by yourselves. Everybody should share it, so move. They did pay them in that particular case, but they had to leave. The homeland that they'd had raised their kids and their grandkids on. Just left. This is happening all over the place. And I don't want to get bogged down in that, but uh, just so we understand <coughs> what's happening. We're being conditioned right now for a U.N. takeover, and they're moving in troops and equipment and materiel to do it. I think we're all getting pretty familiar with this, the way they're getting our minds conditioned for it is we have a little problem in Haiti so we send Carter down there with an open checkbook and tell him to make peace I could have gone down there and made peace that doesn't make Carter a diplomat if you guys will leave I'll give you a check for ten million dollars today and I'll send you a check for a million dollars every year as long as you'll stay gone I could have made peace under those conditions that doesn't take much diplomacy you can buy it for a little while some places but then when we have disturbances here, what's going to happen? I think we're headed for the same type of thing. Our sovereignty is being taken away through NAFTA. Another one we might say is, what have we begat? Through the GATT, or the, uh, yeah, the GATT 
um, the, the agreement they just made. We gave away a lot of our sovereignty, our control of our own trade, control of our own economy. You'll see that as it goes on. So we see things that are bad today. How do we react? What do we do? You look back in history, and you see people who succeeded, essentially, in life, and you see those who withered and died or failed. You went to school, no matter what age you are, with kids. Some were voted most likely to succeed, some were less likely to succeed, and some you didn't figure there was a prayer. I don't know which group you were in, and I won't say what group I was in. But how is this determined? What do you do? A lot of us right today are afraid to face it. And I think there's essentially two groups. One I'll call ostriches. I know ostriches, now that they've researched it, don't bury their head in the sand, I guess, but uh, let's use the proverb anyway. You, you, you just can't deal with what's happening, so you don't want to hear about it. You want to just go on through life, and that's the way a lot of Americans are, and do your thing and hope that they don't start pulling your neighbors in and take them to concentration camps. You hope that's the case, and you want to squeeze in as much life as you can until this whole ball of wax comes unglued. So ignore it is the approach. But now if a, an ostrich did stick his head in the sand and begin to ignore what is, was going on around him, what happens? He leaves something exposed, doesn't he? His rear end is sticking right up in the air. And everybody that walks by says, now there's someone going through the life as a rear end. Because that's what's sticking out there for the world to see. He's hiding. And he's not dealing with things with his head, but with the other end. You can be in that group if you want. And then we might characterize others as giraffes. They're going to stand up tall. They're going to raise their head as high as they can and look around and see what's going on. Because this world, no matter what age you are right now, you are going to have to deal with as it is. Not as you wish it was, not as you hope it can be, but as it is and as it is, is going to be. The giraffe has to stretch for his lunch. He has to stretch himself to reach those leaves way up in the tree. And he hopes he's a taller giraffe than the one beside him so that he can get them before they're all gone. And I think that pretty well characterizes how people are. They'll either hide from situations and try not to deal with them, or they'll stand up and they will deal with them. You're going to have to one way or another. Bible itself says, for lack of vision, the people perish. John Reed touched on this, when was it, two or three weeks ago, when he gave the sermon about the Oregon Trail. It was their vision that kept them moving. No matter how deep the Indians were, no matter how deep the waters were, they had a dream. They had a goal. They wanted to go somewhere no matter what the cost. And I think that is, I know that is really what's missing with a lot of people today. They look at conditions around them and it scares them to death and they just can't deal with it. Our young people have a real tough situation with that. 
I submit that we are not dealing with the end of time. I submit that we are dealing with the beginning of time. We've dealt with nearly 6,000 years of the beginning of the end of Satan's rule, and now we're dealing with history changing, with things opening up for the beautiful world tomorrow. And this is an ageless thing I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the time when I was a kid, thinking, boy, by the time I grow up, this is all going to be over and we'll be in the millennium. I'll never get to have children. I'll never see my grandchildren on this earth. Today, we have the same situation. Kids asking, boy, the world's in this bad a condition. Will I ever have children? Will I ever get to be married? Maybe I better just have a good time. But what about those who are middle-aged? They're saying, well, I see my grandchildren. There, my kids are getting married. Will I have grandchildren? Will I get to see them grow up? It doesn't matter. This is ageless. It's not just the teenagers. It's just not the eight-year-old kids. It's all of us facing what appears to be the end of life as we have known it in this nation. It's ending around us every day. I think I've already described that well enough. <clears throat> it doesn't matter what age you are. Chronologically, I'm 50. That's hard to say. But you know, I, I, my chronological age doesn't really matter. Some days, to hear my wife tell it, I act too. Some days 12, some days 32, some days 92. <laughs> Otherwise, she wouldn't say, Daryl, grow up, <clears throat> when I say something particularly stupid. Well, maybe the only difference in this life cycle is between 2 and 92 is that he pins smell worse than the diaper did at 2. Now, we make a circle here where we go through this physical life and we get old and we, our systems begin to break down and we get Alzheimer's or old-timers disease, I call it, and we begin to lose our functions and our abilities. And hopefully we won't live old enough to, to get in that situation, but it happens to a lot of people. You come to the point you wish you could die and you can't. All right. <clears throat> Ezekiel pretty clearly states that a third of our people, of this nation right here, the United States of America and Canada and wherever else the tape might go in Israel, one third of us will die of famine and pestilence. One third of us are going to die in war. One third of us are going to be taken captive to be slaves. It's not a pretty picture. Ezekiel is told to keep reaching in his pocket and dividing more of the hairs to represent people. Throw them in the fire. So a lot of those who are taken captive are going to die. I can't change this, brethren. I can't change it old people, and I can't change it young people. Not only that, I don't want to with what I understand. It has to happen. Let's not stick our head in the sand and ignore it. Let's face it and see what can be done about it. What is the future? What should we do? Let's go to Ecclesiastes, and I want to begin in chapter 11, and verse 9. <clears throat> if you're young, 
Here's some advice of Solomon, as an older man who had tried everything there was to try. I mean everything. Anything that Solomon could think of that might be pleasurable or fun or affordable, and he could afford anything, he did throughout his life. But he said he did retain his understanding and wisdom, even through all that. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. So enjoy life. And walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. All right, isn't that what we tend to do when we're younger? We see what's around us, what we can hear and see, and we want to enjoy life. Just like a newborn calf or a newborn colt or a lamb or a goat. Boy, they're so frisky and they jump around and life is so beautiful and new. And I want to try this and I want to climb the barn and all kinds of things that they will try to do. And really enjoy life. So, Solomon says, enjoy life. That's what God put us here for, was to enjoy life and to become a joy to him. But know you, let me warn you of one thing here, that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. God is watching this whole thing. Now, your parents can't watch everything you do. They'd like to, I guess, sometimes, but they can't. But God is always watching. Not even a sparrow falls to the earth that he doesn't know it, and he counts the hairs of your head. So he is intimately interested in you. And there's nothing you as a youth or an old person can do that God doesn't see, and he ponders it, and it will bring it into judgment in some time. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away from evil, or put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. They fade away. And all the things you did are gone. They're in the past. Some of you older people realize that, uh, you know, youth is gone and old age is here. And I'm creeping along the edge of it now. And it's, uh, it isn't fun when your eyes and your ears begin to go and your legs don't move as fast as they could and the kids can beat you up the mountain. Remember now, your creator in the days of your youth. Now, here's some good advice. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. While you're still young, think about God. It's so easy to push God aside and say, I want to live the way I want to live, and one of these days, sure, I can repent. You live that long. Now, where am I in my notes? Did I get ahead of something? I think I did, yeah. Let me go back here a little bit. <coughs> because I want to relate some of this to my life. Here's that dreaded number 10 on the bottom list. People ask me, well, did you grow up in the church? And my answer is, I am. <coughs> Growing up in the church, hopefully. But I can remember, like the ostrich and the giraffe, in the days when I first began to understand, my folks were in... West Texas in 1952 and 53, began to hear the program, began to take the correspondence course. And they sat around and talked about prophecy and how things could all come to an end by 1972. And Christ would be back by 1975. That's ancient history now, isn't it? But I listened, heard all that. I guess it sort of scared me, too. I had those thoughts. I, I'll never have children then. I'll never get married. I, I'll never get to do the things that I want to do in life that I had mapped out for me physically to do. 
But I took the correspondence course myself, willingly. But he made me, I think I was eight or nine years old when I started taking it, because I had been infused with a bit of a vision of the future. I saw that there was a work to be done, and I wanted to be part of it. I wanted to go to Ambassador College. I just, I, I wanted to go so bad. And part of it was vanity and ego, because when you went to college, you could be part of the work, and you might even get to be a minister and stand up and yell at people. <clears throat> Somewhere along the way, that uh, that part of it I, I lost. I didn't necessarily want to talk to any more, anybody again ever a few years back, because it was much easier not to. You didn't have to prepare. You didn't have to get nervous. You didn't have to think much. And you didn't have to be responsible for what you said and answer to God for the advice you gave people. So I kind of backed out of that. Some of my um, friends tried to get me back into it, and here I am. I won't say who those are. <coughs> but at any rate, here I was growing up in the church. We go down to Big Sandy for the feast back in the 50s, and I noticed that there were two distinct groups of kids. Those who were interested in the church, those who wanted to go to Imperial School and ultimately to Ambassador College, and those who said, let's go get a beer. Those that wanted to get the car and run off somewhere with the girls. Some of the girls wanted to go to college and some of the girls wanted to get some beer and run off with the boys. So there were two groups there. And... I have had time now over the years to watch what has happened to those two groups. I remember Jim standing there with his hair all slicked back, and I had some of that too, and his crotch of his pants down right below his knees with his collar all turned up and jiving and talking about how they wanted to go out and, and get drunk. Jim never made it to college, neither did Dave. I think I heard Dave got killed in a drunken accident or something a few years later. Jack and Dennis had the same vision I did. They went to Ambassador College and they became ministers, among others. And somewhere along the line, I'm not using any last names here to protect the innocent and the guilty, uh, they somehow lost the vision and left the ministry and left the church. I still am here. And I pray to God that I don't lose it. God and leave the church. I pray that pretty regularly because it's so easy to do, to just simply lose it. And I see people that I have known for years and years who are just simply losing their understanding now. They're forgetting why they exist and who God is and who they are. And it's in my own family even I see this happening. And it's scary to me. I hope it scares us all to our knees when we have to deal with these situations as they come up. But those who looked forward, who saw something ahead, were the ones who stayed with it, the ones who became the successes out of your class, however old you are. But the ones who were just kind of living for the moment didn't make it very far. Maybe they just lived. The only reason they went to work on Monday was for paycheck Friday, as far as they thought. And they bought their beer and went home and got drunk and waited till Monday. Now that's a life for you. <laughs> There's a real life. How do we infuse ourselves 
with something for the future. Now, it's a little different now. I would not advise anyone I know to go to Ambassador College today. That is sort of taken away as a goal and a vision for our young people. And even now that we are beginning to scatter out into different groups of God's people, it's even hard to find other young people your age who agree with you mentally and spiritually to even date. Where are you going to find a mate today? Go to the Peace Tabernacles, 200 people there, uh, three single males and four single females, and none of them appeal to you. <laughs> What's a girl going to do? Well, we've got to find some vision. We've got to find some reason to get up in the morning and to go on with life without just sort of drifting and becoming nothing. Our lives getting all fouled up with some of the things that are happening in our society today, and there are real dangers there. <clears throat> Chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. There's a certain point in age where you really don't care whether you live or die, and then it comes a point where you'd really rather die rather than deal with life. There's no pleasure in life anymore. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. And the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened. You're getting blind, you're getting deaf, you can't get around. The doors shall be shut, the streets, when the sound of the grinding is low, and you shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. So all the song and dance of you is brought low and begins to go away. What have you accomplished? Is there anything more? Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Now there comes a day when the tape deck's broken, the car stereo doesn't work, the bottle ran dry, and uh, the marijuana cigarettes just about. Now what? Is that all there is to life? There are songs about that kind of thing, too. What was that song Hoyt Axton did 15 or 20 years ago? Work your fingers to the bone. What do you get? Bony fingers. And then the refrain goes on, maybe things will get a little better in the morning. Maybe things will get a little better. And it goes on and on, several things like that. But you work and you work and you work, and all there is to look forward to is bony fingers and bare cupboards. And old age and death. Isn't there something more? Is this the end time, or is it not? Maybe it's the end time for you. You don't know how long you'll live. My end time might be today, might be tomorrow. I may have to live another 40, 50 years on this earth. Just don't know at this point, do I? And you don't either. Will this all wrap up in another year or two or three or four? I thought it was. Would when I was 14. Here I am. Getting old and gray. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe there's another 30 or 40 years left. I hope not. I pray not. I know I'm praying against the wishes of some of you teenagers I'm talking to today as well. And some of you little kids. You want to enjoy life on this physical earth. But look around you at what's happening to it. It's degenerating day by day. And you can't really ignore all the signs. Look at some of the kids you go to school with. Little brats, what are they going to be when they grow up? No training, 
No direction. No goals. The scripture, brethren, is eternal. The same advice that should have been given in 2000 B.C. or 1000 B.C. or 1000 A.D. is the same, same advice, basically, that ought to be given today. The scriptures never grow old. Someone says, should I buy gold? Right at the end, they're going to take our money away and give us a really smart card. What should I do? Go back to Proverbs pretty easily. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Store up for the winter. That is an eternal scripture. It was good in 2000 B.C. and it's good today. I don't think by any means we ought to depend upon the physical for our future life. There's coming a time when we'll have to depend entirely and totally upon God. But you could be very easily living in an area, I live in one in Alaska, where there's... Uh, a whole chain of volcanoes right across the inlet from us. We've gotten ash and uh, things in the air in the past. And that whole area could just blow up, and all the electricity and the airplanes coming in there could be stopped, and the food supply could end just like that. In time or not, we could be without food for a week, a month, six months. Go to the edge, you sluggard. <laughs> He's really busy getting something laid up for the future. A lot of us just have enough in our pantry to last till Monday. We've got to shop once a week. Maybe our pantry's too small to have more than that. Maybe we don't have money to buy more than that. I'm talking about a principle here, and sometimes, and maybe increasingly, we're going to get to the point, as the economy declines, where we can only live from hand to mouth. And God promises us that we will have clothes and food and shelter even when that comes. Although, maybe it'll be taken away to the degree that ultimately even he promises us he will protect us too. But he even says there's a time coming when I will allow you to be killed and martyred. So, God is removing some of those blessings from this country and we are going to suffer some of that removal. We might as well get used to the idea. But those scriptures back there are just as alive today as they were a hundred years ago. Be prepared for emergencies. So that's what I would say today. Should you buy gold? I don't give any advice on that necessarily other than prepare for emergencies. Maybe it's a little safer for a while than stocks and bonds and various things, but the Bible also says they're going to throw all that in the street too because it doesn't chew very good when you're hungry. And if anybody has food, they're not going to trade you their food for gold. Because in this country, not too far hence, if you have a baby, you're going to eat your own afterbirth. If you have a baby, you may kill and eat it too. The scriptures are very plain on that. Maybe this is nauseating. Wait till it happens right in front of you. Wait till it happens to you. you so allow your mind to get to that point. then it would really be nauseating. I apologize, sort of, to anybody that might be wanting to parf as a result of me saying that. But wait until it's real and right in front of you, brethren. It's coming. You can't stop it, and I can't either. God says, don't even pray for this people, because they will not repent. And he 
very well lines out in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Minor Prophets what is coming like a freight train soon on this country. Friday, and it's probably time to sunset here. It's probably 3 o'clock Friday by now. <laughs> well, it is, too. It's 3.03. This is Saturday, but I mean in terms of the 1,000-year plan of God, 7,000-year plan. This is Friday afternoon. It's time to be preparing for the Sabbath that's coming. A thousand years of rest on this earth that God has told us is going to come. He says we're going to have a real lumpy sundown, but come the dawn shortly thereafter, going to be peace and prosperity and beauty everywhere. So this is preparation day. It's time to be busy, not hiding. This isn't the time to really crawl in a cave somewhere. This is the time to be doing what God would have us do to prepare. Uh, let's go back to Ecclesiastes uh, 10, verse uh, 18 for a moment. By much slothfulness, the building decays, whether we're talking a physical building or a spiritual building. And through idleness of the hands, the house drops through. The floor falls out. Your spiritual house or your physical house. You have to take care of things. What did Christ say about that servant whom he found so doing? Not folding his hands, not hiding from what's coming, not saying it's inevitable, there's no sense in doing anything, it's about to happen. Might as well sit on a hill and wait for Christ to come. That's not what this says. It says be building, be repairing, be fixing. I like the fixing and repairing better right now for us than I do the, the building. Because we fell in some pretty sad shape as a result of sitting back spiritually and letting the building decay. And it's time to, to get out the sandpaper and the varnish and the paint. Shine some things up around here and, and, and renew the electricity so we've got some light. That's what we ought to be doing, and I think we're aware of that, and we're certainly working at trying to do it. And I tell you, we're going to need each other to survive, aren't we? I think that's a big issue right now, because so many people are being offended at each other in worldwide, in all the branches of that organization. Uh, we, we grope about to some degree in confusion perhaps trying to find where God would want us and have us and we get offended at a minister and we get offended at a brother in the church we get sensitive to each other we have trouble getting along and didn't Matthew say that this condition would occur in the church? Iniquity would abound. Sin would start coming through. 
because we're lax spiritually and begin to let God's laws deteriorate in our everyday living to the point that we begin to forget Him, and in so doing, we forget to love each other. And so we become judgmental and critical. We see the faults in ourselves, a little maybe, but we sure see the faults in somebody else louder. We forget about the demon in our own eye and go after his splinter. You know, I was thinking something just the other day about somebody that I'd known in the past. Why would somebody do that? I got to thinking, Daryl, you might as well just shut up now. Because I've done far worse than what I was considering that person to have done. And we all have, haven't we? Now is the time to be binding ourselves together in love and obedience to God, lest we turn on each other and turn each other in and betray one another to be killed. Because that's coming too in God's church. Ten years ago, it might have been a little hard to imagine. It was a theological thought. Today, after what we've seen, to me, it's pretty real. I know relationships that have been broken to the point People are ready to kill each other right now if they could. thought they could get away with it and God wouldn't punish them for it. But the attitude of hate and murder is certainly in the heart of some. They don't agree with me. I don't like them. Even if they don't carry it to that extent. The time has come to prepare ourselves, mind, body, emotion, physically, mentally, spiritually, for what is coming. We have to be a leader. You young people, it isn't the beginning. It isn't the end. We're just going to have a little rough water here on this little rafting journey, and then it's going to smooth right out. Maybe you're only 8 years old, or maybe you're only 14 or 15 or 16 years old. You're going to be needed here in a very few years to help set this world right. The Oregon Trail isn't over. You know, everybody has thought, well, it's all done. No more pioneering to do. They've invented everything there is to invent virtually, except for microchips to keep getting smaller. And uh, what is there left to do? There are no frontiers now to bash down. All there is is to live in this sick and dying world until it all comes unglued, and that's the end of it, and so what? So I'll do what I want. Oh, you're desperately needed in the world tomorrow. I don't know whether you know it or not, but God is your only hope. A third of us are going to die in pandemic. A third of us are going to die in war. And a third of us are going into captivity to our masters. And we won't get paid for our work, and we will work or die. That third is going to be diminished dramatically by the time Christ comes about three and a half years later. You can't escape it. You can't hide from it. You might as well face it. You might as well face it standing up and prepared to go to battle to become a leader, a pioneer in the world tomorrow. There's a goal for you. This world, you say, well, nothing can be done. Yes, it can. We can't do anything today politically. It doesn't do you any good to save your guns and ammo if that's a question in your mind. That'll be a felony soon. You'll have to turn them in. Or you're going to have to defend your home with them. And God says don't kill anybody. So I like my guns I use for hunting. But if it comes to that point where I'm a felon, if I have them, I'll just have to hand them over. I'm not going to kill the guys who come to get them. That wouldn't accomplish anything. 
We just simply have to face the fact that this is happening and history is on the edge of being renewed and prepare ourselves for it. Yes, get your education. Don't say, ah, well, the colleges are all full and the college degree is no better than a high school degree used to be and it's so expensive. I don't know that you necessarily ought to go to a big university and be taught by somebody who's an assistant professor who doesn't speak English. You pay big money to do it. But find ways in a community college or in a technical school or somehow even self-education through the library to expand your mind, to learn, to use the ability God gave you to become something. Because we're going to need so many leaders tomorrow, you can't believe this condition that this nation is going to be in. And if you consider God your creator now, while you were young, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of age even, and you think about your future, and you educate yourself the very best possible, and Game Boy doesn't do it. No. Let's kill the gremlins. No, this is all going to come fast pretty quick. Christ, I mean, Satan is going to bring a lot of destruction to this earth, and Christ is going to finish it off with his anger, and those are the ones who are going to do the destruction. Then Christ is going to remain and start rebuilding. He's going to look for people ready to rebuild, people who have educated themselves, who didn't just give up because they saw nothing in this world. You who are really young are the ones with the greatest opportunity because your childbearing years and your marriage years are yet ahead of you if you survive the Holocaust. And there's only one channel you can go to survive that Holocaust. That is be obedient to your parents, that is, think of God now, while you are yet young, and begin to pattern your life in that direction. Be responsive. Be a leader. Be the best kid in the class if you possibly can. Use all the brains God gave you. You don't give up and say, well, there's no use. Well, there is. It's only a short gap. Only once this thing really hits in full fury, it's only about three and a half years, and it's over. It's done. Jesus Christ is going to be here and start looking around and say, somebody needs to go clean this mess up over here. Somebody needs to rebuild this. I tell you, you're going to need all the math and science and everything else you could possibly use in order to rebuild it. You can build the kind of world that you have always dreamed about, the kind that you old folks have dreamed about, the kind I dreamed about. You can build it the way you've dreamed. There won't be any fighting. There won't be any war. They won't teach you evolution at school. You won't have to fight all this stuff. So fight it now and prepare yourself. I don't care what you think about what I'm saying. I don't care what you do about it. Well, I do care. But it doesn't change my life anymore. Let me put it that way. It's coming upon you regardless of what you think about what I'm saying. And what good does it do for you to ignore it and get caught up in the Holocaust that's coming and die and you don't have a chance to fulfill the dreams that you might be formulating in your mind about where you'd like to live and how? That's what's important. And for those who are older, too, the same thing. Maybe we're old enough we're going to die before this happens. Or Isaiah 57, 1, uh, God will allow us to die so we don't have to go through so much of it. 
next second of consciousness, you'll be rising from the dirt and shaking the clods off and meeting Christ in the air for a nice dinner with wine. What's wrong with that picture? Don't give it up now. I don't care what your age is. You're an old person, and you can't be a leader in the world tomorrow physically, and you can't be a leader in the church today even. Too old to even push a broom. Peace of tabernacle. So what? Within a very short time now in your consciousness, you're going to be able to fly through the universe. This is not a time to give it up or back off. This isn't a time to say, I've lived 80 years and that's enough, and uh, I don't see any sense in doing anything but watching soap operas. No, it's time to still be using your mind, what's left of it. Some of you have a lot left. If you use it, you might not lose it either. I'm not saying there isn't a coming a time when you might say, I'm ready to die, I've had enough. There, there is a time for that. I don't think anyone should then badger you to rally and live. You know, you're 92 years old and you want to die, it's time, go ahead. You know, this is okay. But vision for the future is what really counts. Let's go, getting close to the end here, let's go to uh, Hebrews 11 very quickly. And uh, verse 13. Speaking of some of the patriarchs of the, of the time, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I'm just here for a short time, but I see something ahead where God tells me all kinds of blessings are going to come my way. And that is what they sought. Not the things of this earth. I'm just here for a short while. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. They're looking forward. Living in the past doesn't earn you a thing. I know people that live in the past. Well, the way things were. Well, so-and-so did such and such to me. I just haven't been able to get over it. Well, have a happy life. You're not going to look forward to much happiness in this life or the future if you keep living in the past. Because if you're living in the past, you're dying. If you're living in the present, you're dying. Just living day to day, seeking whatever pleasures today might offer. You're going backward if you're doing that. You've got to be living for tomorrow. Yes, you die daily. You fight yourself today so that tomorrow can occur. Anytime we have a goal in the future, we have to work hard today to make it happen. Otherwise, we're just a filthy dreamer. Doing nothing but dreaming. Set those goals. See what is coming in the world tomorrow. See what Christ has lined out in the Bible. Maybe you don't want to get into heavy theology. Maybe all these arguments over doctrine and calendars and Pentecost and stuff is boring to you. Well, it gets boring to me, too. Because why should we strain at gnats and swallow camels when there's so many glorious and wonderful things ahead and we could be preparing our minds to become a part of it? If you don't want to read theological stuff, and I don't blame you if you do, go back and read uh, Proverbs. Read Ecclesiastes. That's easy reading. Like the easy listening channel. But there are a lot of eternal principles in there 
that you can live by and you can pattern your life by. See what's good and what's bad and what happens to fools and what happens to wise people and see what made them wise and see what made them fools. It's laid out very simply in a beautiful way so that you can see how to live just by reading Proverbs and seeing some of the experiences of others who have lived in Ecclesiastes. There's other scriptures you can throw into, but there's a couple of good places if you're young and you want to start getting the vision of how God would want you to live and what will bring the fruition of your dreams that you have. It's all there. I look back and I see people who are in both groups, those who are interested and tuned into life and who are looking at what was happening not being discouraged by it, but looking beyond it. And I see those who just looked at today and said, oh, well, things are getting bad and getting worse. So I'll just tune out, check out, enjoy myself, and maybe I'll repent someday. You can't ignore God for just so long. One of these days, you're going to face it. Whether or not you face Him right now or in the millennium of the second resurrection or the third you're going to face what's coming on this nation and this world very shortly and ignoring it isn't going to help you a bit so don't live right now and don't live in the past find some way to show yourself if I can't do it I'm just touching the surface today but find a way to look forward on the other side of this short period of time that we have of confusion and frustration and war and see the other side Get your eyes locked on that, young and old, because that's what's going to save us in the long run. God leading us forward by his spirit to the future. If you're looking at now, and you're looking at your neighbor, and you're looking at the others in school, and you're looking at society, and that's all you can see, that's going to doom you. You've got to look beyond the end of your nose. You've got to look on the other side. Build a dream. Build a dream like they built that dream to Oregon. There's peace and prosperity in the valley. I'm not talking about a Protestant song. But that's what kept them going when the mud was deep and the mosquitoes were bad and the Indians' arrows were flying. That's what will keep us going. Without vision, we will perish. But with a dream that we put some energy to, we can live forever and we can have the kind of life that we wanted physically in the very soon coming world tomorrow. Transmission is shot.